portion of God's Word that we'll focus our attention on for a few moments this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen redeemer. Amen. This Roman centurion, this leader of soldiers, he sure thinks a lot of Jesus, doesn't he? It's a a remarkable story. It takes place in this town called Capernaum. Now, I haven't had a chance to, to travel to the Holy Land yet. I hope maybe someday I will. But I've heard from people who have been there that this town of Capernaum is a really beautiful place. It's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, so its beaches face south. And if you could think of any, any uh, beachfront community that you've ever visited, that's Capernaum. Beautiful place with beautiful vistas and beautiful water to look out on. This just so happened to be the home of Peter and Andrew, James and John, and also Matthew. The tax collector turned disciple of Jesus, who also happens to be the the guy who wrote down the the gospel lesson you just heard. That's five out of Jesus' 12 disciples. They're all from Capernaum. And so maybe we should not be so surprised that this became kind of home base for Jesus during his ministry. In Mark chapter 2, we're told that this was a home of sorts for Jesus while he was carrying out his three-year-long ministry. I mention this all because We want to be careful not to say more than the scriptures say, right? We're not really told anything else about this centurion and if he had interaction with Jesus or or when he heard Jesus teach beforehand. But he's in Capernaum. Five of Jesus' disciples are from Capernaum. We know that this was home base for Jesus and his disciples. And by Jesus' own words, this man has faith in Jesus. He knows a lot of stuff about Jesus. How did he come to know so much about Jesus? We don't know. But probably sometime when Jesus was in Capernaum and he was maybe hearing Jesus teach or seeing him do other miracles, 
The point is, this guy thinks a lot about the man that he's come to know. He thinks a lot of him. We've looked at this account before. It's remarkable. Jesus says, I will go and heal him. You'd think that's all the centurion would want to hear, right? He's got a servant who's suffering, and Jesus says, I will go and heal him. Awesome, let's go. That's what you'd expect, right? But no, he says this thing about, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. I understand how authority goes. I understand your authority, and I believe that you're so powerful, you don't need to be by his bedside to heal him, to relieve him of this ailment. You could do it right here. It's an incredible example of, of how much a human can think of God and his power and his ability. Do you think much of God? Do you think of him often? And when you do, do you think a lot of him? We, we train ourselves as Christians to think of God at certain times and in certain places and during certain circumstances. I don't know where you tend to eat most of your meals. Maybe it's a kitchen table or a little breakfast nook or a counter or a couch. But when you sit down to eat, don't you think of God? I'm assuming most of you are in the habit of folding your hands and saying some sort of prayer of thanksgiving and praise to the God who provided you with food. For a lot of us, we crawl into bed, think of God, pray. For some of us, it's when we open our Bibles or our meditations, devotional books, or whatever it is that you do to, to spend time in God's word. Here, thoughts go to God. But what percentage of your life is that? Where your thoughts are locked in on God? It's probably a pretty small percentage of your life. It is for me. That convicts me. I'm sure it convicts you too. I, I, I should think of God more often. The God who created all things and, and who sustains all things. The God who saved us, who, who knows all things, who's infinitely powerful and infinitely wise, present everywhere all the time. We should think more often of him, shouldn't we? But you know what really gets me? It's not how often I think of God as much as it is how I think of God. I want to tell you one story. I hope it helps make the point. When I was 22, our daughter Olivia was born. She was born the very first week of my time at the seminary. I had a couple days of school under my belt. She was born, and then the rest of my seminary life, she was there. And those first two years at the seminary, Melissa worked to help pay the bills. I went to school from 7.30 to 12.30, Monday through Friday. And then she worked the second shift at a local hospital, from about 3 to 11. And so I got to do bedtime with Olivia every single night for the first two years of her life. I cherish those memories. I, I have good memories of those, of those days. If I didn't teach her about Jesus, who would? If I didn't pray with her before bedtime, who was going to pray with her before bedtime? If I didn't sing her songs about Jesus, who was going to do that? So I, I did. And I remember those, those nights of rocking her in my arms and singing the songs and, and praying the same three prayers every night. I'd like to think that in prayer, I was as locked in, thinking about who God is and, and thankful for all that he had done for me on those nights as I ever have been. 
Now here I am, 12 years later, six times the blessings, a seventh on the way. I'm sad to report things have changed. Our kids sleep in three different bedrooms. And as you might imagine, bedtime is hard. And we still say those same three prayers in all three rooms. Where do you think my mind often is the third time? When I get to that third bedroom. I'm supposed to be the the father, right? I'm I'm a Christian father. I'm a pastor too. Christian husband. I want to set a good example for my kids. I I want to show them that this is important, to, to thank God for all that he's done for us during the day and to ask him to keep us in his care throughout the night and to pray for family and teach them about Jesus. When I get to that third bedroom, it's probably not a period of time in my life that I'm going to look, at, look back on 12 years from now with a lot of warm, fuzzy thoughts because it does nothing but bring me guilt. Because so often when I'm in that room saying those three prayers for the third time, I am so far from God and so ready to move on with the next part of my night where I'm going to get to put my feet up and relax or whatever it is that I'm going to do after those kids are finally asleep. Now, I might be at a different stage in life than you. But can you relate to a a time during the day when you are thinking about God, when maybe you're not thinking much of him or really thinking about him at all? You're just going through the motions? Our God is, is so big and he's so powerful and he's so gracious and he's so loving and he's so forgiving And yet I so often think of him so little. Not just in the frequency, but in the quality of my thoughts too. Can you relate? I'm guessing you can. What can we do to think more of God? Where do we go when we deserve nothing but to be separated from God? In our gospel lesson, when Jesus was talking about the faith of this centurion, he also said that there are people who think they're in the kingdom who are going to be tossed into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that should be us. The people who gather together in God's house, who, who think we're a part of God's kingdom, we're the ones who should be tossed out, who should be sent to hell forever and ever for, for thinking so little of God. What do we do? Where do we turn? We seek our God. Take a listen to what King David says in Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. See, when we realize that there's a problem with the way that we view God, when we realize our sin, we got to go back to the scriptures to seek our God to learn about him, to be reminded who he is and what he's done. Do you remember Paul's famous sermon in Athens? Do you remember how he shows up in this foreign land and there's idols all over the place and he begins to teach these idolaters why they're idolaters? Do you remember what he says at the end of that sermon? He's teaching them how they look out and they see all this evidence of God's existence, all this evidence of God's glory, but they've drawn the wrong conclusion. And Paul says, the reason God worked this natural understanding of his existence in you is that you might seek him 
and reach out for him, though he's not far from any one of us. Paul had come to teach them about the true God so that they could understand what what the real God is really like and what he's done for them. When we seek God in his word, listen to what happens. David says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. What happens when we seek God in his word? What happens when we come to know our God better and better understand what he's done for us? We see his love. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David was a sinner just like you and me. David went through periods of time when he thought very little of God, just like you and I do. And when he went into God's word and better understood God's promises, he came to know God's love for him. One of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures is pasted at the end of every single email I send out. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. How do we get to know God's love when we see Jesus? God rightly could have cast us into hell, but what did he do instead? He looked at people who so often think so little of him, even though we're surrounded by his glory on this earth. He sent his son to rescue us, to make us at one with him, to to die for all of our sins so that we could be at peace with him forever. And David says that is the most satisfying thing in the whole universe. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Isn't that a cool picture? I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. We're leading up to this time in in, in our culture where we gather together for the biggest meal of the year. The one that gets the most attention and, and the most planning. And if you're like me, you probably have great memories of a of Thanksgiving meals gone by and you're probably looking forward to this one. What a cool picture that the way God satisfies us is even better than the best meal that we could enjoy. But you know, this is kind of a hard thing. It's hard for us in these sinful bodies to find ourselves fully satisfied with God. Even though we should be, We often find ourselves being satisfied with other things or at least trying to be. And what do we find? (laughs) Discontentment, hopelessness. Those are red flags that we're seeking our satisfaction in the wrong place. And so there's these little tricks that we could do as Christians to discipline ourselves, to, to, to suppress that sinful nature, to help train ourselves to think more of God, to find our satisfaction in him and in him alone. And this is a great example. Think of those meals that you enjoy the most. Think of how you enjoy them even more when the people you love the most are around the table with you. Think of the experiences and the places and the things that bring you the most joy and then think this. You ready? God is even better than that. He's even more satisfying than that. It's not sinful for you to enjoy things on this earth. In fact, it can be a really good thing. As long as you constantly are reminding yourself, God is better than this. I'm not chasing after this pleasure. 
I'm not chasing after this experience so that I could finally find true peace. But when I do experience that awesome vacation, or when I do take that bite of food that just makes me feel so good, and when I am with those people that I love the most, I'm going to teach myself to think God is better than this. And that helps us to remember who God is, to think more of him, to look for our satisfaction in him alone. But it's not just the good stuff. It's the suffering too. Those things, that pain. Today we're going to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. Members here at Mount Olive who are in great physical pain for this reason or that. You know what that's like. To have your body hurt, to have your heart hurt, to feel emotional pain, to feel physical pain. You know what it's like to get a phone call that you never want to get again. You know what it's like to lose. There's this great passage in in Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Think about that. The things that we endure in this life, the suffering, it's not even worth comparing with the glory that God is preparing for us in heaven. When you do suffer, you can learn to appreciate the satisfaction that God offers us by reminding yourself, as much as this hurts, it's going to seem so small and so insignificant when I experience what God is preparing for me that I'll never think about this again. That can help you learn to think more of your God too. And so my prayer for you is that God would give you faith like that Roman leader of soldiers. That God would give you a faith that thinks much of him all the time. That you would learn to find your satisfaction in God. This huge God who created all things the evidence of whose power and wisdom is found all around us in the world, who sustains everything, who saved us from sin, death, and hell, who is perfectly loving and perfectly wise and with you all the time. May God continue to increase your faith in him. May you think much of God. Amen.